On this week's Adam Schefter post-Super Bowl 53 podcast, we will be joined by former Patriot offensive lineman and current ESPN analyst Damian Woody, who shows us a side that not many people even knew existed. And we'll have NFL ESPN researcher Evan Kaplan break down some of the biggest NFL off-season storylines. And then we'll finish up with Chad Steele, the Baltimore Ravens vice president of public relations and the post-game media liaison for Tom Brady, Peyton Manning, and Ray Lewis, who has the face that you will recognize if you see him on TV. He's always the one standing side-by-side with Tom Brady post-game. But first, Damian Woody. Damian? Adam, what's up, man? How you doing, my friend? I'm good. I'm good. Thank you for doing this. Yeah, man. Anytime, man. Anything for you. So, Damian, the Patriots go ahead and win their sixth Super Bowl. First of all, you left there in 2003. Do you realize what you missed out on? Like, you could have just stayed there and just <laughs> had so much jewelry that it would have been blinding to everybody at ESPN. Uh, listen, my wife tells me all the time, I'm like, maybe we should have reconsidered going to Detroit because that, that would have been an opportunity to stack all those rings. But, you know, I've, all, I've, I've always been a big believer in things happen for a reason, and my time in New England was priceless. Uh, the teammates that I, that I was able to play with, uh, it, it was just un- unbelievable start to my career. But man, it's not bad having two rings, Adam. It's no, it's great having two rings, and there are a lot of people that don't have two rings. Okay, but did you have any idea that there were going to be six rings like this, Adam? You could never, never, in, never in a million years, you would think that an organization would get to six. I mean, the fact you know win six Super Bowls, the fact that they've been to nine, nine Super Bowls in what eighteen years is. Mm-hmm. It's just unreal in, in in pro football. I mean, you're talking about a league that's you know has a hard salary cap and and it's really designed not to have this type of thing happen. But you know, kudos to the you know Kraft family and and, and uh, Coach Belichick and and that whole organization for providing a a culture that we haven't seen. I don't know if we've seen it ever ever, ever, ever. in pro football. Correct. When you were there during that time. You were involved, as I saw on NFL Live on Tuesday, in the tuck rule game. And that play may be the single most important game in spawning the birth of the dynasty that was. Because if that play doesn't happen, I'm sure there are plenty of Super Bowl titles, believe me. But there's probably not six. That play launched it. Did you know when that play happened how significant it was? In the moment, no. I had no idea. All our, you know, the... Charles Woodson comes off the edge, and I just heard a big like gasp from the crowd. <laughs> and I turn around, and the football is is laying on, on the ground. And it was almost like I was stuck in time because my reaction was just a tad bit slow. And uh, the the linebacker from the Raiders, whose name I, I, I'm Greg forgetting. Beaker? Yes, Greg Beaker jumps on the football, and I jump on top of him. And I'm thinking to myself, that's it. It's over. Like, we're, we're done. Lost. And we, we lost the game. And then all of a sudden, you know, I'm I'm walking back to the sideline and there's all this chatter going on. And I'm like, what what are what are ever what is everyone talking about? What what is the big discussion? And I just and, and I looked at Coach Belichick and he had this look on his face and then people were I heard the, the Did he know the, the rule? Did he know the rule at that point? I believe he did. And I just heard People on the sideline mentioned Tuck, and I'm like, "What is? Why is people? Why are people mentioning Tuck?" And and it just 
it just kept reverberating on the sideline. Tuck rule, tuck rule. And I'm like, okay, I don't know what this is, but next thing I know, Walt Coleman comes out and he just breaks, you know, he breaks it down. I'm like, wow. Never knew it existed, right? Never Never knew it existed. And I'm like, I will take it. I will absolutely take it. And you could just see the reaction from the Raiders. I remember seeing John Gruden on the sideline, and, and we and we both know John. His, his face got so red, and that sideline was so hot. And all I could think to myself was, this is it. The game is over. Yeah, They're so shook right now. They're so caught up in the call that they're not even focusing on playing the rest of the game. And we just go out there, and Adam make, yeah. makes two of the Best kicks in NFL history, in my opinion. Oh, Adam Vinatieri, unbelievable, and, un- unbelievable, and and it's the rest is history. Yeah. Now, back then, back when you played for the Patriots from 1999 to 2003, Tom comes in right around that time. Did you have any idea that he'd be? Forget this. Nobody expected this. Right. Did you? Did you see any greatness in him? Well, I always say that there are those innate those traits that all the great ones have. Yeah. And with Tom, you saw the work, the work ethic was un, was unmatched. Um, you just saw the, the determination. Remember, Adam, this was a guy that came in in 2000, uh, who was a fourth string. He was a fourth string quarterback yep. behind Drew Bledsoe, who was a first hundred million dollar man at the quarterback position. John Freeze, Michael Bishop, and, and here's Tom Brady. But this guy just had something about him. He had a presence and we all know. That presence is, it matters in the National Football League. It matters at the quarterback position. And you just, we, we could all see that, man, this guy has something to him. And it just methodically, he just started leapfrogging everyone. Michael Bishop, he jumped over him. John Freeze, he jumped over, over him. And then all of a sudden, the one game against the, against the New York Jets and Mo Lewis just rewrote Patriots history. I've often thought, Mo Lewis unintentionally, really, actually, we talked about the tuck rule, but Mo Lewis is the one player who basically gave birth to the dynasty. Yes. In an unintentional way. Because you tell me, answer this, if Mo Lewis doesn't hit Drew Bledsoe there, what happens? Does Tom Brady get his shot? Yeah, yeah. I think think at some point Brady would have gotten his shot. But, again, Adam, I'm a big believer in everything happens for a reason. Mm-hmm. And the fact that that hit happened, and by the way, at that time I I was injured in that game. I I got hurt in that game, and I was in the locker room, and I saw Drew Blesso. Drew Blesso almost died from that injury. I mean, he was very you know very bad off from that from that injury. But mm-hmm. that propelled the Patriots' history from from that from this whole dynasty that we're seeing right now. That's when it all started. But but you were there at that point in time. So again. Let's just play it out. Let's say Mo Lewis doesn't hit Drew Bledsoe. And by the way, that was the first game post 9-11 for the Patriots, right? Correct. People forget that. The NFL shut down for a week, as it should have. And then the league starts back up, and it was a Sunday night game in Foxborough, correct? Correct. And Mo Lewis hits Drew Bledsoe on the sideline. So let's say he doesn't hit him. Do you think at some point that season Tom Brady takes over? Probably no, right? I don't think I I would agree. I don't I don't think Tom Brady would have taken over, you know, during the season. Again, you know, you're talking about Drew Bledsoe, who's multiple time pro bowler, hundred million dollar quarterback. Yeah. 
I just, I, I just couldn't, I can't foresee how Brady would have found his way as a starting quarterback that year. And how about the next year? If you had a guess, we go, he goes to camp healthy. Everybody goes healthy. He's not unseating the hundred million dollar quarterback at that time, is he? No, I, no, I don't think he is. I mean, obviously, you know, the contract plays a big part in that. So, how do you, how we how would you be able to justify oh we're going to start Tom Brady over the 100 million dollar quarterback is i just you know i i don't see that i wouldn't i didn't see that happening as well so again everything happens for a reason and that hit by Mo Lewis set things in motion for the patriots so think about this mo lewis hits drew bledsoe and bill belichick walks out on the new york jets so the New York Jets produced the coach and the quarterback <laughs> that launched this dynasty. <laughs> it, it, but you know, Adam, you know, the, it is crazy how intertwined those two franchises are. Yep. It is just absolute. And you played for the Jets from 2008 to 2010, so you know. Well, there's there's been a bunch of cross-pollinating between the, the Patriots and, and the Jets. Where are you talking about Curtis Martin and – you know, myself, I mean, there has been a plethora of players that, that's played for both teams. And, uh, yes, the Jets absolutely put the, put the dynasty in motion. Hmm. Hmm. Amazing to yes. think about it. And it, it's really true. It, maybe it doesn't happen without the New York Jets. So on behalf of the Patriots fans, they thank the Jets for, <laughs> thanks for coming and, and, and please pay your bill. That's right. right. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's incredible. Okay. So Damien, the real reason, I know the Patriots won the Super Bowl, but the real reason that I wanted to get you on this podcast is people see you, this big lovable guy on NFL Live, on Get Up in the Morning, on doing all these shows, having had this excellent NFL career that included two Super Bowl championships and one Pro Bowl appearance in 2002 and 173 games played, the whole thing, former first-round draft pick from Boston College, what they don't see is that you and your wife, Nicole, have seven children. Camille, Jalen, Alexandra, Dominique, Deuce, Dontrell, and Jacoby. Seven kids. And what's so incredible to me that I discovered recently while we were doing Get Up in the Morning is that your oldest, Camille, is a sophomore at Stanford, correct? Correct. Jalen is on her way to Georgetown or at Georgetown? On her way. And what grade is Alexandra in? Alexandra is a junior. And where is she going to go to school? She hasn't made up her mind yet. She's, What's in consideration? Oh, my gosh. Um, what do we think? Oh, my gosh. Uh, let's see. She's thinking about um, she's thinking about Howard University, a historic you know, mm-hmm. black college. Um, she's thinking about Maryland. She's thinking about uh, Virginia. Um, is the, the list is still early. Okay, but- so, so we have one already at Stanford, one on the way to Georgetown, one on the way to Howard, Maryland, Virginia, one of those great academic institutions. How do you get seven kids, three at or on their way to outstanding universities? I'm sure the other four are not far behind and continuing the outstanding Woody tradition here of going to great What What's the key here? What's the key? I think structure is a is a big part of it. Structure, um, discipline. We the one thing I'll say is our kids are very self motivated, um, which I think we're we're very blessed and fortunate to have. And you know, obviously, my wife has just been it's just been fantastic. Um, you know, she's she's been a stay at home mom 
you know, since we've been together and to have that structure in place has really been phenomenal. She's been, she's, I always tell she has the most important job in the house. I've done, I've done and accomplished a lot of really cool things, but my wife has just, she's been the one that's had the most important job in our house and, um, her ability, um, to create an environment at home where our kids are able to thrive, um, in, in all facets of their lives. It's just been, uh, it's been outstanding. What's the key to that? What is the key? Um, again, you know, I, I, I think the the struct the structure at home. Uh, I think a lot of it has to do with you know in today's society, a lot of these kids think that they want their parents to be their friends, mm-hmm. and I'm like, there's there'll come a time and place for that as you get older, as you become an adult, where it, it the transition starts to happen. But I am your parent first and foremost, okay? And I think we make we make that known to our kids that. At home, we are your parents. We are not your friends, okay? You have friends at school. We are your parents, and we are here to make sure that we enforce and do what's in the best interest of you. We don't let anything slide, okay? Because I feel like all kids crave structure. They they crave discipline. If you don't have the, if you don't have that for your kids, then there's chaos. And when when you're in a house with seven kids. Three dogs, two cats, wow. like and a mother-in-law, and yeah, a mother-in-law, yeah, and a mother-in-law. Like you have to have structure in your home, or you're going to have chaos. So you know, for us, like my wife is very organized. You know, as far as a schedule, basically, like my phone is my life is my lifeline. She makes she makes sure that everything is in the calendar when the kids have their activities, when the kids, you know, the time, the window they're supposed to do their homework. When we eat dinner, like all those things, we create an environment. We foster an environment for our kids to thrive and whatever, whatever resources that our kids need in order to be the most, be successful as, as far as school is concerned. We spare, we spare no expense uh, because we tell our kids school is the number one thing. There's nothing more important than education. Okay. And education would take you further than anything else that we have going on around here. So we make sure that that is at the forefront of everything we do in our home. How does a family of seven kids, all those animals, the mother, okay, let's say that the family wants to go out to dinner. You're going to go to a local pizzeria. How does that happen? Um, A lot of times we call ahead. (laughs) You can't, you know, it's hard to roll that, you know, that many people deep into a restaurant and think that, um, you know, you're going to be seated anytime soon. So, you know, we plan ahead. And again, that's, you know, I got to give my wife a lot of credit. You know, we, we, that, that's the biggest thing here, Adam. We make sure we plan because when we, with this many people in the house, you can't just, you can't just do everything at a whim. You got to be able to, you have to plan things out. And my wife is really good at that. So when we go out, when we go out to dinner, we make sure we plan ahead. Sometimes it's, you know, a day or two ahead. To make sure that we have our arrangements, our ducks in, in, in you know, ducks in a, in, in a line. So um, that's really been the key for us is, you know, we're all about planning and organization. And how cool is it that you have somebody at Stanford and someone on the way to Georgetown, a daughter at Stanford and a daughter on the way to Georgetown? Like, those are unbelievable schools, D-Wood. Yeah. It's, uh, you know, Adam, I sometimes I, I sit back and I, and I think to myself, wow, I, 
like I, it's it's hard for me to believe. It's hard for me to fathom. But I give credit to you know to them for putting in the work. It is not easy. No, it's not easy. Uh, though you're talking about two of the you know best institutions in 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 the, in the United States and. My my kids put in a lot of work as far as school is concerned. They well, they do not take it lightly because, again, we've instilled in them that education is is if you want to if you want the best opportunity to get far in, in life, get a great education. And when you walked onto the Stanford campus the first time, what was your reaction? <sighs> I I was just blown away. It wasn't my first time walking into. My first time was actually my best friend from high school. Um, he went to Stanford. Um, and so that was my first time. I'm like, boy, this is a cool place. And it, and what happened was <clears throat> when my daughter was considering, you know, all these different schools, mm-hmm. Columbia, Stanford, Michigan, actually, Michigan was another one of the school, one of another one of the schools that she was considering. Mm-hmm. Um, my friend took, you know, we all went out to Stanford, you know, m- both my wife and I, Camille, and, and and my friend, we went out to Stanford, and when when we got out there, she was just blown away. She was like, you know what, this is the place for me. I want to be in an environment where it's competitive, and the fact that the alumni base of Stanford, you can basically write your own way. So it was just a no-brainer for her. It's such a special, magical place. I once was a part of an NFL symposium. They used to send executives, managers to a three-day training program at Stanford. And I was thinking this morning, actually, when I worked at the NFL Network, I went and I don't know whether I attended one or covered one, but I remember meeting all sorts of people in the NFL at that place, and it was a magical environment. Like, that is Shangri-La. That's like the vacation of colleges. You look around, you're like, this is too beautiful to be real. It's that nice. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It, like, even when I went out there, I'm like, I don't even want to leave. Like, it was, it was, it was that type of environment, but... When you're when you're in, in in an environment like that, and with all those different students from all the different backgrounds, and how competitive everyone is, it's only going to make you better. And I think that's what she that's what she just fell in love with the environment, the competitiveness of, of everyone there, and it's just been great. Any concerns that your daughter Camille will not want to come home? And she'll oh, she's stay? already vo- already voiced that. She's like. Dad, I I don't know if I'm ever gonna leave California. You know the weather and, and and you know being in the in the Bay Area. She's just she you know she loves Palo Alto. So I don't know if I can pry her away from out there. It's gonna be tough. It's a beautiful place. Well, Damien, congratulations on an outstanding NFL career, launching the Patriots dynasty, but most important, bringing along the next generation of Woodies and great people in our society, sending them to the fine academic institutions that you already have and will continue to do through young Jacoby. That's the goal, man. One by one, brick by brick, man. Just continue to add, you know, respectable people into our society. That's that's all we can ask for as parents. Damien, thank you very much for the time today. Appreciate it. Thank you. We'll be back in a moment with Evan Kaplan, but first a word from ZipRecruiter. You know what's not smart? job boards that send you a mile-high stack of resumes to sort through. But you know what is smart? Going to ZipRecruiter.com slash ASP to hire the right person. Unlike other job sites, ZipRecruiter finds qualified candidates for you. Its powerful matching technology scans thousands of resumes to identify people with the right skills, education, and experience 
and actively invites them to apply to your job so you get qualified candidates fast. That's why ZipRecruiter is rated number one by employers in the U.S. This rating comes from hiring sites on Trustpilot with over 1,000 reviews. And right now, my listeners can try ZipRecruiter for free at this exclusive web address, ZipRecruiter.com slash ASP. If you love this show, show your support to it and ZipRecruiter by going to ZipRecruiter.com slash ASP. That's ZipRecruiter.com slash ASP. ZipRecruiter, the smartest way to hire. Cap hit. All right, time to wrap up the 2018-19 NFL season and look ahead to everything that's ahead this offseason with ESPN ace NFL researcher, analytics guy, and colleague and friend, Evan Kaplan. Evan, thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me, Adam. Evan, the Super Bowl wrapped up Sunday, and I thought it was interesting that in a year of offense, all about the offense all year long, it was the Patriot defense that made the difference. It really was. Uh, holding the Rams to three points, tied for the fewest scored by any team in Super Bowl history. And like you said, we talked about offense on this podcast and on every show on ESPN throughout the year. Patrick Mahomes, all of the record-setting performances. And you look at the Patriots against the Chiefs in the AFC Championship, who was the number one scoring offense, and the Rams in the Super Bowl, the number two scoring offense. They beat both of them. They're only the third team to do that, beat the number one and number two scoring offense in the conference championship and the Super Bowl, along with the 1969 Chiefs and the 1966 Packers. So they did something, look, that hasn't been done since the late 1960s. Just incredible defensive performance that helped Brady and Belichick get their sixth Super Bowl. You know, you bring up Belichick there, and I was watching primetime after the game on ESPN, and Steve Young made the point, and I thought he was absolutely within his rights and right on, that Bill Belichick should have been voted the MVP of that yeah. Super Bowl. I Look, I was uh, I was helping research on that show, sitting a few feet away when he said that, and it was, it was a great point because, and we always talk about all of these unheralded players that he takes and turns into an incredible defensive unit, and that's what this Patriots team was, and, and they, they came along throughout the season and played their best in the games that mattered the most. One of the other things that came up post-game, and... It was said on TV, and I agree with it, absolutely, is that Julian Edelman is a Hall of Famer. Now, ordinarily, you wouldn't think of him in that way. But now, when we go back and look over the Patriots' dynasty Mm -hmm. and their championships, who made the biggest catch in the come-from-behind win against the Atlanta Falcons? Julian Edelman did. Who made all the big catches on Sunday to help win that Super Bowl? Julian Edelman did. And so I think the case can and should be made that Julian Edelman is going to be in consideration for the Pro Football Hall of Fame. What does Evan Kaplan say? Well, you look at the numbers, Adam, and he, he's got the third most receiving yards in Super Bowl history now, behind only Jerry Rice and Lynn Swan. And Jerry Rice is the only player in postseason history with more receptions and yards than Edelman. Edelman's regular season numbers may not stack up. He's only got 30 touchdown catches in his career in the regular season. That's 58th in the NFL just since his rookie season in 2009. But Let's consider this, and this might be the biggest thing in Edelman's favor, is that as of now, only one member of the Patriots Super Bowl winning teams has been elected to the Hall of Fame, and that happened last weekend with Ty Law. So I think as we continue to move away from this Patriots dynasty, and obviously 
Tom Brady will be a lock Hall of Famer and Rob Gronkowski will be a lock Hall of Famer. I'm not sure how many other guys are lock Hall of Famers from this team, and I think that in order to put their historic achievements in perspective, you might see guys like Edelman get in and other guys from the defense get in like Ty Law. What, what, what do you think about that? Well, it's amazing when you say that. One player from those teams has gotten in. And this is a dynasty that spans back to 2001. Mm-hmm. So we're talking 18 years of football, and there's one Hall of Fame player. Right. Now, I, as you mentioned, Brady's going in, Belichick's going in. Right. No questions asked. But it just I think it just elevates the level of accomplishment that these men have achieved, that they have been the two constants. And by the way, Robert Kraft should be in the Pro Football Hall of Fame, too. Right. Absolutely. So it just elevates the accomplishments of those men because nobody else is a surefire Hall of Famer that just jumps out at you. Right. Um, so, look, when you say that Julian Edelman has the third most receiving yards in Super Bowl history behind Jerry Rice and Lynn Swamp, both of those guys are in the Hall of Fame. Yep. And the only player with more yards in reception in the playoffs is Jerry Rice. So if he's the second all-time leading postseason receiver, then he's in the Hall of Fame. And let me say this also. I used to be a voter for about five or six years. And I always remember people in that room saying, and this is always a key question that should be asked about anybody, can you write the history of the game without this person? You certainly can't in the playoffs without Julian Edelman. That, that, no, you that, can't. That is undeniable. The, the postseason history record books will be littered with his name when he retires. And by that standard, to all the haters and doubters and skeptics and all the people saying, like you said, that he's 58th in receiving touchdowns right. since 2009, which is, is also true. Like That's not overly impressive. But you cannot write the Patriots dynasty without Julian Edelman's contributions and accomplishments. You can't, can't do it. Do it. <laughs> can't do it. There you go. <laughs> Josh scared me there with that can't do it. <laughs> All over it. All right, one of the other big stories this offseason is going to be Kyler Murray with the combine and the draft. What's your take on what's going to happen there? Well, you look at his college performance, winning the Heisman Trophy, and and not only was he the best player by by virtue of the Heisman in college football this year, he, he posted the highest single-season QBR by any FBS quarterback in the last 15 years. You think about all the great seasons from players like Russell Wilson and Cam Newton and Andrew Luck, and, and Murray had the best individual single-season performance. But now, look, everybody, the height is... Every the the key factor that everybody will talk about with Kyler Murray, there's only been one quarterback five ten or shorter to attempt to pass in the NFL since nineteen seventy. That was Doug Flutie. Murray would be the second and, and look, we'll see how everything shakes out with with the Oakland Athletics and the baseball versus football factor. But it look, it starts with the combine in a few weeks. The the off season there is no off season as we know, Adam, and, yep. and, and, and that will be kind of the first stepping stone to see if Murray goes to the combine. And I had somebody tell me that's close to him. He's going to measure in at 5'10 at the combine. That's going to be one of the most anticipated measurements that really we've will seen be. in quite some time. But that's ahead here in a few weeks, and we'll have all the coverage possible on ESPN. All right, the top of the teams in the draft already have their QB, or do they? What's your take on how this is going to shake out in terms of the teams at the top and their need for a quarterback? Really interesting. When you look at the Cardinals, the 49ers, and the Jets, the teams that, that have picks 1, 2, and 3 in the draft. So the Cardinals, they picked Josh Rosen last year. The 49ers have certainly invested in Jimmy Garoppolo, and the Jets picked Sam Darnold last year. 
So what does that mean for how the top of the draft will shake out? This this draft certainly on paper is not as quarterback heavy as we had last year, but still you look at let's look at the recent history of the top three picks in the draft. In seventeen of the last eighteen years, a quarterback has been selected in the top three. The only exception in that stretch was the two thousand thirteen draft. So what does that tell you? That tells you either one of these teams perhaps might take another quarterback, may not be likely, or trade out to a team. Exactly. That much more likely that we could see a trade at the top of the draft because look, everybody needs a quarterback and teams are willing to move up to get them. Yeah, and so I think in that case, I think that guy, my guess right now would be Dwayne Haskins. Yep. But maybe somebody falls in love with Drew Locke. The word I've gotten so far from teams is that they are not overly impressed by any of these quarterbacks early on. Now, we'll see whether any of that changes moving forward. But again, to your point, 17 of the last 18 years, at least one quarterback picked in the top three. And the chances are that's not going to change. All right, every year, Evan, we see some teams spend an awful lot of money or make an awful lot of moves. Last year, we saw the Rams all in last offseason, trading for Marcus Peters, Aqib Tlaib, Brandon Cooks, and spending $243 million in guaranteed money. Who is that team going to be this offseason? Well, you look at it based on the cap space, and those top three teams right now are the Colts, the Jets, and the Browns. And I think mm. the interesting part about perhaps all three of those teams, certainly the Colts and the Browns, the Colts coming back from 1-5 this season to make the playoffs, the Browns have their starting quarterback in Baker Mayfield, had a very strong end to the season. So you've got, normally we look at the most cap space at this point in the, in the calendar, early February, about a month out from free agency. And they're teams that didn't have great seasons and they need to go through a massive rebuild. You don't ha- really have that with certainly the Colts and Browns, more so the Jets, but they still at least have their quarterback. So I think it's interesting that the teams that have a lot of money to spend have a decent core in place already. So yeah. you could see at least the Colts and Browns make a big jump based on what they've done in the 2018 season and then the money they have to spend going into the 2019 offseason. You know what's interesting about that? The Colts, Jets, Browns. You could make the argument that any one of those teams could use either Le'Veon Bell and or Antonio Brown. Absolutely. And, and look, and that's the other thing that the the, the what happens with the Steelers and Brown and Bell is far none. I mean, the most intriguing storyline that we will cover over the next few months in terms of where they end up. Um, it, and it's fascinating just the number of teams that you would think, like you said, would be in the market for those two players. Hey, Evan, thanks for this information today. I'm sure we'll be speaking again this offseason, and thanks for everything that you did all during the year. Thanks a lot, Adam. We'll be back in a moment with Chad Steele, but first I want to tell you about Dollar Shave Club. I love that Dollar Shave Club has everything I need to look, feel, and smell my best. What I love even more is the fact that I never have to go to a store. That's because, one, DSC delivers everything I need right to my door, and two, they keep me fully stocked on what I use so I don't run out. Here's how it works. Dollar Shave Club has everything you need to get ready, no matter what you're getting ready for. They have you covered head to toe for your hair, skin, face, you name it, they have it. And they have this new program where they automatically keep you stocked up on the products you use. You determine what you want and when you want it, and it shows up right at your door from once a month to once every six months. That's what I do for DSC's toothpaste. It gets sent to me every couple of months, and it keeps my mouth feeling fresh and clean. Plus, with their handsome discount, the more you buy, the more you save. And right now, they've got a bunch of starter sets 
you can try for just $5, like their oral care kit. After that, the restock box ships regular size products at regular price. So what are you waiting for? Get your starter set for just $5 right now at dollarshaveclub.com slash A-S. That's dollarshaveclub.com slash A-S. Chad. Shafty. How you doing? I'm good. How are you? You know, I'm watching the TV Sunday night, and once again, I see the Ravens vice president of public relations front and center in the center of the football universe again. And I said, (laughs) we have to get Chad on this week's Adam Schefter podcast. He must be on. Uh, I'm honored. Well, I mean, it's incredible what has happened. For those of you who are now listening, basically, Chad's job during the year is to work with the Baltimore Ravens. But Super Bowl week, he becomes the media liaison for, are you assigned to a player or a team? Well, it, it, uh, a player. So during the week, uh, there are a number of us that are there to help the league out with credentialing, radio row, you know, kind of point media in the right direction. Opening night, uh, that Monday night, we're, we're assigned to a player. Yep. Uh, I had Tom Brady again on Monday night. And then we're assigned to a player after the game. Uh, which again, I, I had Brady. So it's 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 split up between between people. I've just so happened to have. I think this is the third, third or fourth time I've had Tom when when they've been in there. So uh, we're, we're we're kind of developing a little bond. And you have had Tom three or four times. You had Peyton Manning after the Broncos won the Super Bowl. Ray Lewis after the Ravens won the Super Bowl. It seems like you always have the star attraction. How does that happen? Um, you know, I don't know. We're there. Like I said, they they invite a few of us down, uh, kind of some of the heads of departments from around the league uh, to help out all week. And then we have some young kids, uh, some interns that are looking for jobs, and some some uh, younger assistants and coordinators that are that are looking to expand their horizons a little bit. And we're all down there for the week, and then we just we get the game uh, assignments. And I think uh, the first one that I had when I worked the Super Bowl outside of of the Ravens when. Um, was uh, was Russell Wilson in uh, in New Jersey uh, a few years ago, and uh, you know I got a quarterback. I think maybe my size helps. You know that, uh, that I'm a bigger guy and I can get out there and kind of kind of move the people through. But just ever since then, uh, I've, I've I've had quarterbacks. Uh, I'm, uh, I think I'm uh, I think I'm six and one right now. The only the only loss I had was I, I had uh, I had Brady last year uh, when the when the Eagles beat him. But I think I have a pretty decent record. So there you are. On Sunday night, the Patriots win the Super Bowl. Tom Brady is stormed by the media. Tracy Wilson of CBS is trying to get in to get that interview. From your perspective, and you were the only one that appeared in that shot with Tracy and Tom. It was (laughs) Tracy Wilson, Tom Brady, and Chad Steele. What was that scrum like for you? Uh, You know, it's just... (laughs) It's interesting because Tom's being pulled in a hundred directions, and you know we talked to CBS, and CBS wanted to try to get that, the interview pretty quickly. Uh, but as soon as you're out there, you know Tom's celebrating a little bit. Then he has teammates coming up, then he has coaches coming up, and he wants to make sure he's very good about making sure he gives respect to the uh, to the opposing team. So you know he wanted to make sure he saw Jared Goff, and there were a couple other players that he wanted to see. And it's kind of, hey, Tom, over here. Hey, Tom, over here. And we're like, hey, Tom, you know, we've got Tracy right here. He says, okay, hold on. I just want to see this guy. And then as soon as that's done, somebody else comes up and somebody else comes up. But he's he's kind of pulled in a million directions. And we're just saying, that, hey, Tracy, just just hang tight, hang with us. You, you know, we'll 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 get him there. And it's it was a little bit it's it's a, it's it's a little bit of a 
Um, I mean, it's, it's just crazy because there are so many people down there. But Tracy did a great job of, of kind of hanging in there and, and, and not panicking, and, and we finally got it done. Probably would like to have gotten it done a little quicker, but, but hey, we got it done. And you're there with him. You're there with Peyton Manning. That's an equally chaotic scene. What was the most chaotic scene that you've been involved in post-game in one of these Super Bowls? You know, I, I mean, I wouldn't say chaotic. I, I, just, I just think there's, there's a lot to get done. You know what I mean? And I think probably, probably Peyton was the most because I think everybody kind of knew it was his last game and everyone wanted a shot at him. And, you know, he was, it was interesting to me watching him. He would, he would do an interview and then he'd want to walk a little bit and look around and kind of take, take the scene in. And then he would do another interview and then we'd walk a little bit and do an, another interview. And, and I tell you, Peyton, he was so patient. He did, I, I can't even tell you how many interviews he did. And we just, you know, on the way up to the podium, once he got the trophy and then coming back down, once we went into the locker room and then he had to do the NFL podium inside. I mean, I think that was, that was probably the craziest just because it was such a, a crush to get him. And he wanted to make sure he spoke to every single person, which I have so much respect for him for, for that and wanting to do that. It was, it was a, but that was a long night. That was probably the long, the longest night I've had at the Super Bowl. At what point are you done with these guys? Like Sunday night, you're with Brady in that scrum. You're with Brady on the field post game. At what point do you say my job with him is done? Uh, once we, once he's gone inside, he's done everything on the field. He's gotten the trophies, done the interviews out there. We take him inside to do the podium in, in the in that big interview room where where they keep cycling players and coaches through. Yeah. Uh, and so once I'm done with that, uh, he has no more obligations for the NFL. I just check in with him. Hey, do you need anything else? He says no. I send him on his way into the locker room, and then and then I'm upstairs seeing whatever the NFL needs uh, upstairs in the press box to help get stuff out. And do you hear these actual conversations like when he's hugging Jared Goff or he's hugging Julian Edelman or he's hugging Robert Kraft and they're exchanging pleasantries? You're, you're the only person close enough with an earshot to hear what these guys are saying. Yeah, yes, and I, I try, not, I try not to be too nosy, you, you know, if you, if you overhear stuff, but I, I try to, I try to give them a little bit of privacy. But the, you know, with Tom, he just, it, it was so me, he just told everyone how much he loved him. And, you, you know, when, and just how special this was to them, to the organization. Um, and it was, it was just great to see, you know, Mr. Kraft and, and Coach Belichick and, um, you know, all the players fighting, fighting through to, to be able to get to see him. And he wanted to make sure he gave everybody uh, individual time and individual respect, which, which I thought was really, really cool. Do, do even you get a hug and an I love you from man? <laughs> I got a hug at the end. I got a hug and a thanks. I did not get an I love you. Maybe if we're in a couple more together. Well, I, I, I would think that. that he would love you at this point, Chad, when he's won as many Super Bowls as he has with you. I would think he would love you. Yeah, it, you know, it's funny. The, the first time I had him, uh, I went to the security guards uh, as the game was ending and just said, hey, my name's Chad. I'm with the NFL. I'm helping out. I just want to make sure the security guys that are with Tom know that I'm in there to kind of help out. And uh, they're like, okay, hey, just stick with us. And we went through everything. We got everything done. And then once I got him into the locker room, I just wanted to go and say thank you to the guys. And, and then all of a sudden they see I, my, I had a Ravens lapel pin on. They say, hey, wait a minute, you were the Ravens. You said you were at the NFL. I said, no, 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 I'm helping the NFL out. And it was kind of a little joke. But now, you know, we've become friends. And I see him on, I see him on the opening night and, uh, and then seeing him at the game. And, and, and we help each other out. And then I was saying my goodbyes uh, at the end of the game. And they said, hey, you know, next time we see you, because New England comes down to play us, 
at home this year. So next time we see you, we're not going to be friendly. I say I don't expect it. <laughs> but uh, but 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 a bunch of good guys. You know, there's 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 so much. Uh, I think sometimes between especially rivals, yeah, uh, there can be a lot of angst and there's a lot of uh, there's there's that rivalry, you know, and, and just to be able to to that day work with them, kind of say, hey, we're on the same team, we're we're, we're trying to get everything done for the NFL and for the Patriots, so it's good to to establish some bonds and some friendships outside of, uh, of of seeing them on the field. How many people recognize you? Like they see your face and they just can't quite place it because everybody. In America, seeing your face after all these recent Super Bowls, <laughs> I get it ever everywhere I go. It's like, hey, I I know you, I know you. Where do I know you from? Um, so some people know right away. Others others just say, hey, where? And then they say, well, I see the Ravens, but you're with the Patriots and you're with the Broncos, so you kind of have to explain it. I my, the first one that I that I worked, uh, I remember I was coming back and on social media, I got I got a, there was a lot of vitriol the, the first time I was with the, with the Patriots. Because the Ravens fans, you know, thought I was trading. I was a trader, and how could you do that? And how could you be at the Patriots? I had to explain to them, hey, it's a, you know, it's a, it's a good thing. It's it's a good thing. I'm I'm representing the Ravens through the NFL at, at the Super Bowl. So uh, it's 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 fun, and you know, a lot of people have fun with it. Um, and it, it's it, it's it's a cool thing. You know, I'm honored to to be able to do it, and it's just funny that it happens to be you know that I'm with Brady quite a bit. How about two years ago when the actor and comedian Joel McHale noticed you behind Manning and then tweeted out to his millions of followers that you are the hashtag guy behind Peyton? Yes, that 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 kind of exploded. And so I get back to my office and my entire door is covered front and back with pictures of Peyton and I. And they changed my nameplate on my door from, you know, Chad Steele, vice president of public relations to uh, hashtag guy behind Peyton. <laughs> Um, and, uh, and I, I've taken, I've taken some grief for that and it'll pop up that the hashtag will pop up, uh, here and there, even a few years later, but it's, you know, it's, it's, it's fun. It's, it's, it's cool to, you know, for me to be able to, I, I remember as a kid watching the Super Bowl and I was able to experience it with the Ravens one time, which was amazing, but to be able to be a part of it, um, year in and year out, uh, you know, I was talking to a couple of my friends, Amy Paulsick from the Texans and Stephen Drummond from the Panthers who were there with us this year. Just right before the game, we just kind of looked at each other and said, man, how cool is this? We're standing on the sidelines about to kick off the Super Bowl, and we're a part of it. So it's, it's, it's amazing to come from a little kid watching this and now being able to, to be a part of it is really special. Well, you've had a front row seat to pro football history, literally, in the most intimate yeah. way possible. Yes, yes. That's the, you know, it's, it's fun. I was, I, I, I walked Ray off of, of, of his final game in the NFL. I walked Peyton off of his final game in the NFL. And, and I, I think there's sometimes, you know, you, you're in there and you're doing your job. And, and there's, there's, there's a part of you that's just like, hey, I've got to get this done. But then when you go back to the hotel afterwards and we went to have dinner and we we're just kind of sitting down and talking about our, our week and, and the day of the game and, hey, Amy, what was it for you, Chad? What did you do? How was it? It's, uh, it's really cool to be able to sit down and reflect. And I'll never forget Ray, um, the entire time I was with him when I came back here in 02, he was just talking about how cool it was to see the confetti come down. And it was just, he says, that's, that's a feeling I want. I, rem- I want to remember that, you know, the purple and the gold and the black confetti. And, and when we won uh, down in New Orleans, the confetti started coming down. And I, remember, I remember looking up and just kind of having my hands out like, oh, my God, this is what he was talking about. This is so cool. And then they're like, oh, crap. You snapped back. You're like, I got, I got a job to do. So then you got to find Ray and you got you to kind of move him through. But 
you know, I, I, I kind of reliving it every year through the eyes of, of the people that are that won, you know, the Eagles last year, the Patriots again this year. It's just really cool to see, especially the people that hadn't done it before, the first timers and, and their smiles and how cool. And they're trying to stuff confetti in their pockets and they're trying to get a hat and shirt and just have a little piece of it. It's just it's really cool. You remember the walk-off with Ray. You remember the walk-off with Peyton. And you've done this now multiple times with Tom Brady. What's the biggest takeaway you have, the one memorable moment you have, from the times you've been there side-by-side with Tom Brady seconds after he wins yet another Super Bowl? I'll tell you, I I think the the thing that stands out most to me uh, was his win in Houston a couple years ago. Um, when, you know, of course everybody wanted a piece of him, but all he wanted to do was see his mom because his mom was sick. Uh, she had been diagnosed and, you know, they, they kept it quiet throughout the year. Um, and he, he just said, I want to see my mom. Where's my family? Where's my family? I want to see my mom. And so we kind of made our way back, um, behind the podium in that little fenced in area. And uh, they, we finally got his parents down from the suite, and just him running over and hugging her, and it was just it was it was it was really emotional. It was really something that 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 I'll never forget. It was just you know you hear you're on the biggest stage in the world, you just won uh, a Super Bowl. It was, it was one of the most it was the most improbable comeback ever in Super Bowl history. All he wanted to do was go hug and kiss his mom, and and that that'll always stay with me. And do you have plans to continue doing this job in the future, Chad, or you want to surrender it to somebody else and let them bask in all the glory and spotlight that you've had on you? <laughs> well, I'm not looking for the spotlight and glory, but I, I, I truly enjoy the week. You know, it, it's an honor to, to, to be asked by the NFL to do it. Um, I can represent the Ravens. And then it's a great week because there are, you know, especially the, the, the PR people that you see either once a year or once every couple of years. You know, it's on game day. You may go out to dinner the night before and say hello. But to be able to spend a week with them and then all the media that you only get to talk to on the phone or through email throughout the year, to be able to shake hands and say hi and, and catch up a little bit and, and be part of that spectacle, it's, it's, it's really, really special. So as long as, long as they'll, they'll have me, I would love to keep on doing it. You know, I figure if people are going to ask Gronk if it's his last game, Brady, if it's his last game, what's the chance it's your last game? <laughs> well, if it's my choice, I'm going to keep on going. Hopefully, I did <laughs> I, I did a good enough job for for them to want me to come back. But uh, but I, I still I still feel like I have a little bit of juice left in the tank. So as long as we'll have me, I'd love to keep on doing it. Chad Steele, aka the guy behind Tom Brady, Peyton Manning, Ray Lewis, and every single Super Bowl hero. Chad, thank you for joining us today. Thanks, Shefty. Appreciate it. Ask Adam. Ask Adam. Ask Adam. Ask Adam. Ask Adam. We should ask Adam. All right, as we enter the 2019 official off-season, which is really one of the busiest times of the year, we figured we would take another round of Ask Adam questions with my great producer, Josh Macri. But before we get to that, I want to lay out the ground rule at the beginning. Ordinarily, I would give a long-winded answer and a real lengthy explanation. But I'm a little under the weather, been sick all week. You're playing hurt, Adam. Yeah, playing hurt, Josh. And so I've noticed that the longer I talk, the more my voice begins to go. So we're going to get to these questions today. They probably will not be as lengthy as they ordinarily will be, but I do want to try to get the listeners some answers and some information on some of the most pressing off-season questions. So what do we got today, Josh? Yeah, we asked for their voicemails. They delivered some really good ones, so we're going to get to them. The first one, the Saints fans, of course, are out there still licking their wounds over that NFC championship loss. And one voicemail caller wants to know, could it get worse for New Orleans? Hi, my name is uh, James Medina from New York City. 
My question is, how in play is Sean Payton to the Cowboys, and could there be a trade or maybe a possible buyout if uh, they decide to part ways with Jason Garrett? Thank you. Well, that's a great question. Look, Sean Payton may wind up being the coach of the Dallas Cowboys one day, but that one day is not going to be in 2019. Now, after this season, it'll come up again, as it has come up every single year, which is why you're leaving this voicemail. Every year, people wonder about whether Sean Payton and the Dallas Cowboys would be in play. I think that question will probably be asked more often than normal this upcoming year because Jason Garrett will be headed into the last year of his contract. But again, that speculation is nothing new. It's just not going to happen this season. Hey, Adam. This is Byron. Do you see the Broncos trying to zero in on Case Keenum as their primary quarterback for the next year? Or are they going to explore their options through either free agency or the upcoming draft? Well, thanks for the question, Byron. I would expect you heard John L.A. himself say that they're going to shake that quarterback tree. That was his expression, not mine. And so when he says that, that tells you that they're going to explore their options. That doesn't mean that they go ahead and do everything. Although with as aggressive as John has been over the years, my guess would be that they do do something like that. I don't know whether that means trading for Nick Foles or Joe Flacco or drafting a quarterback. We'll see how that plays out here. But I have no doubts that they're going to look and explore every one of those options and see whether it's worth bringing in one of those guys if they would be an upgrade over Case Keenum. And if the answer becomes yes to John Elway and Vic Fangio, then they'll go out and make that move. From the quarterback situation in the Rockies, Adam, we go to the quarterback situation in the Music City with Marcus Mariota and what's next for him in Tennessee. Hey, Adam. My name is Jimson, and my question is, what do you think is going on with the Tennessee Titans? Because Marcus Mariota had maybe one good year. The year he went like 26-9. and nine. I think it was 2015 or 2016. And ever since then, it just hasn't been the same. What do you think is going on over there? I think that he's been hurt. He's been banged up. He's had a lot of injuries that he's played through. I think that they've changed coaching staffs. Uh, he's had to endure a lot. I think that they like Marcus Mariota. And I think that I will not be surprised if this offseason they enter into contract negotiations to sign Marcus Mariota to a long-term extension. I think that that has a real chance of happening. Now, again... I think they like Mariota more than the fans do right now. But he definitely has some things to prove to them. But I think the fact that they feel the way they do is going to be reflected in the way that they approach him this offseason in regards to a new contract. Hey, Adam, this is Jason from Spokane. I was uh, calling to ask about uh, Xavier Howard's status. There's been speculation amongst uh, some Miami beat writers that they may trade him. If they do uh, decide to trade him, what might be the compensation? Huh. It's a great question. I can tell you this. There are teams out there that would love to get their hands on Xavier Howard. I think that they view him as a top cornerback. If you're going to trade Xavier Howard today, and I haven't asked anybody this question, my guess is at minimum they would get back a second-round draft pick. I think he was taken in the second round, if I'm not mistaken, and there's no reason to think that they wouldn't get at least that back for a cornerback who is early on in his career – uh, they took him in the second round in 2016 out of Baylor. He's played three years. Look, you know, here's the, th- the other thing. They have a new head coach coming in who's going on to run his defense. If Brian Flores likes Xavier Howard, they're not trading him. If he thinks he's dispensable, 
They are trading them. That decision, I believe, will emanate strictly from what Brian Flores feels about Xavier Howard. Brian Flores took over as the Miami Dolphins head coach Monday afternoon. He was immersed in Super Bowl talk. So while the Dolphins beat writers feel like they may be willing to move on from him, the one person who really knows that is the head coach who just took over. And we haven't heard from him on that subject. The voice is starting to go, Adam. So we have one more voicemail for Thanks, you. Thanks, Josh. And it's the best of the day. Adam, if the Niners lose out on Antonio Brown and the trade, which they probably will, are they in the market through free agency or to the draft for a wide receiver, which they desperately need? Well, first of all, what is losing out on Antonio Brown? How do you even know that the Niners are interested in Antonio Brown? So if they're not interested, not overly interested... Could they even lose out on him then? So I know that there's been all this speculation about Antonio Brown to the Niners. Nobody from San Francisco has substantiated that, nor could they because it would be tampering. But I have not gotten the sense that they are basically all in on getting Antonio Brown. Maybe they will. But again, there are a lot of needs for that team. Wide receiver is one of them. And we don't know whether they would want a veteran or a younger receiver or whatever it may be. I I go back to this. During the season last year, the Niners had the opportunity to go trade for Josh Gordon. And ultimately, they decided that they'd be better off not doing that as much as they would have liked to have added another wide receiver. So I would say, what's different about this situation than that one? We'll see over time. The question I thought was flawed in the sense that you said, what if they lose out on Antonio Brown when we don't even know for sure that they'll be interested in trading for him? We know Antonio Brown's interested in San Francisco, but we don't know if or how much that's reciprocal. Not only are you an NFL insider, Adam, uh, you're also a spiritual guru, uh, breaking down the philosophy of can you lose out on somebody you're not even interested in. It's uh, I'm, the, not, and it, I'm not telling you they're it, not it's interested. It's the NFL version of if a tree falls in the forest and nobody's around to yeah. hear it, doesn't make a sound. Well, there uh, you go, Josh. I like I, and I'm not telling you they're not interested, but how do you know they're that interested? There's a, there's been a lot of buzz, you know, with the Jerry Rice comments and Josh. Um, I'll say it again. <laughs> how do you know they're that interested? I guess we don't. I guess we don't. But uh, okay. we will we will have to see how it all turns out. With Antonio Brown and his NFL future, and we'll be here to do so. Do you hear what I'm saying? I hear you. What I'm saying? I hear you. I hear you. Absolutely. How do you know they're that interested? I do not. I do not. You know better than me. And we will be here to follow it all off season long, and we will continue to take your voicemails occasionally, and you can leave them for us at eight six zero. 506-5779. 506-5779. Remember to leave your name. We want to give you credit for these. And of course, the best voicemails will make the podcast. So thank you, the listener, for all those questions today and for every week that you sent them during the course of the season. Thank you to Chad Steele, the Baltimore Ravens Vice President of Public Relations, whose face America has gotten to know by standing next to all these Super Bowl heroes through the years. Thank you to Evan Kaplan, the ace NFL ESPN researcher for that great insight and information. And thank you to our friend and colleague, Damian Woody, for sharing some of the details of his parenting skills, as well as some of the secrets to the Patriots dynastic success. And thank you for listening to this podcast. And every week we'll be back again next week with the latest edition of 
of the Adam Schefter Podcast when hopefully my voice will be doing better. Have a great week, everybody.